I want you to imagine with me that you are in a restaurant with your friends. And that'd be kind of hard to imagine these days, right? Things closed down, being with friends. Sounds really nice, doesn't it? But you're, you're in a restaurant with your friends, and one of your friends leaves to go uh, use the restroom or whatever. And while they leave, someone sitting next to you takes the salt shaker and puts a little bit of salt in their water. And we kind of giggle a little bit, laugh, smirk, because this is going to be a funny joke, right? But not serious. So your friend gets back to the table. They take a sip of the water. And their mouth goes kind of like this. And they say, wait, did somebody put salt in my water? And the person admits, and we have a good laugh. Happened to me one time, except it was lemonade, and it was not a little salt. It was a lot of salt. I was trying to figure out, why does this taste salty? So, uh, but imagine instead of salt, in, instead of that, that the person next to you pulls some sort of poison out of their pocket and puts it in the water. This is a totally different situation now, isn't it? This is life or death. You now have a moral obligation out of love and responsibility to tell that person what has happened, right? To prevent them, stop, don't drink that. And then maybe this other person needs to be arrested or something needs to happen so that they won't hurt or kill anyone else in the future. Does that make sense? So as we get back into Jude this morning, we're going to find that this is the situation Jude has recognized. We started the, the book of Jude, the letter of Jude last week. Jude recognizes that there are people who are claiming to be teachers, claiming to be sincere Christians, and maybe they were sincere and not malicious in their intent, but they were preaching words that were destructive and poisonous. And Jude knew if the believers just take in everything that they're giving us, they will die spiritually. They may be lost eternally. It is my moral responsibility to speak out against these false teachers. Sometimes we have a hard time when there are, are harsh warnings of judgment, scary to us messages of warning. But God actually allows those and inspired those messages because he loves us. It would be totally unloving if you were just silent while your friend drank the poison you knew to be in their water. And so God, because he loves us, recognizes the dangers of false teaching, the dangers of sin and rebellion in our world, and so he sends us messages to warn us. And so today, I'm just going to give you the big picture ahead of time. Sin is like a boomerang, okay? Sin is like a boomerang. Well thrown, in the right conditions, obviously. When you throw a boomerang, and this is the, the right way to throw it, my grandfather brought this back from like Australia back in the day. When you throw it properly, it comes back to you. Sin. We think it's only going to be a one-time thing. It's not going to affect us that much. Sin comes back. It comes back to bite us. It comes back to haunt us. We talked about David the other week. Sin has consequences, and those consequences come back. Some sober words, but some loving words 
from God through his older stepbrother, Jude. So I invite you to open up your Bibles. Turn to Jude. Jude chapter what? Chapter 0, chapter 1. We've discussed how there is no... It's just, it's just Jude. No, not more than one chapter, so we can just say Jude 1. We're actually going to, to verse 5. As we're doing that, I just want to say happy birthday to Gene Hill. Gene, if you're watching at home today, we just want to say happy birthday. We love you. We're so happy that you're a part of our church family. I'm also going to be posting a video on our, our church Facebook page. been doing some, some very interesting learning. Very, very interesting learning uh, as we continue this conversation in our nation about race, racism. Um, and someone shared the video with me and I said, I'm actually already watching this video and it's fabulous. Um, there has been some kind of groundbreaking work by some Adventist scholars doing historical research. And if you're interested in expanding um, your understanding of this topic and how past decisions may still be impacting the present today. It's three hours long, but boy, it is well worth it. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, and just to let you know, our early founders were all abolitionists. They all spoke out against slavery. They had a passion to make uh, things just in our world. And uh, interesting bit about the FBI um, kind of coming after our church. Uh, they were really worried about our stance on some things back in the day. Anyways, I'll just let that be a little teaser for you. Our sermon today is from Jude. Uh, Jude, and I better turn there myself, Jude verse 5. So we, we saw last week Jude, the older half-brother, step-brother of Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus, but now he does fully convinced in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, fully embracing the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And now, because of what he sees in the church, he says, I've got to do something. I can't let the people drink spiritual poison. I have to let them know. So now we get to the meat of it, the heart of it here in verse 5. And I told you last week, Jude likes to do things in what numbers? threes in the number three. And so we start off in verse five and onward with three examples historically of the dangers of disobedience. Three examples. We start with example number one, verse five. But I want to remind you though, though you once knew this, so th these are stories that the people knew should be well acquainted with. If you're if they're new to you today, that's all right, but you will soon become better acquainted with them. I want to remind you, even though you knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Well, that's a, that's a potent summary in one verse. And if you want some more context of what happened, uh, you can read about these stories in books like Exodus and Numbers. But basically what happened is God saw the people enslaved in Egypt. He rescued them. He parted the sea for them. He had 10 plagues that fell on Egypt, but the, but the last seven, the seven last plagues did not fall 
upon the Israelites. He did miracle after miracle for them. They go to Mount Sinai. They hear God's voice. And even while Moses is still up on the mountain, they said, I'd rather not serve God. Let's make our own gods. Time and time again, he dealt with them. Every single day, he worked miracles for them. He brought water out of the rock miraculously, kind of like our fountain out there, except it must have been a lot more water to provide for the masses. He gave them oil out of that same rock, out of the flinty rock, it says in Psalms, I believe. He gave them food six days a week, and on the sixth day, Friday, the preparation day, preparation for the Sabbath, he gave them a double blessing. Every day, he worked miracles for them. He provided shade for them in the desert by the, the cloud and in the daytime and comfort and heat in the evening by the pillar of fire at nighttime. And so during this time period, they had every opportunity to know that God was the Lord. They had been delivered again and again, and when they fell down into sin, he helped them and was willing to forgive those who wanted forgiveness. And they get to the borders of the promised land and they get scared and they forget, as it were, that God could rescue them, that God could provide for them as they cross the Jordan, as they move on to conquer the land of promise. And so God said, all right, because of your unbelief, you're going to die in the wilderness. Forty more years they wander and they get old and sick and they died. And so Jude says, you know these things really well. But remember, these people, they had all these opportunities, but they refused to believe in spite of all the evidence given them, and they died. That's example number one. Example number two, we move from the earthly to the heavenly now. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains of darkness for the judgment of the great day. Angels didn't keep their own abode. Early on, when God made everything, everything was perfect. No sin, no rebellion, no death, no suffering. God made angels of varying uh, types and gave them jobs. One angel in particular, a very high up angel named Lucifer, rebelled against God. He wanted more than what he had been given. He found pride in himself, and through that mystery of sin, he began this revolt and this rebellion, wanting more than was given, wanting God's throne himself, wanting to take it through uh, force if necessary. And this rebellion spread amongst the other angels who eventually left their own abode left their position that had been assigned them and said, no, I will take a higher position. God and his authority will not rule over me. And eventually God had to cast them out of heaven, as it were in this symbolic language. Cast them out of the place of eternal brightness and anything else other than heaven is darkness. And he put these everlasting chains on them. Uh, Chains of circumstance, bound here, 
Uh, their, their freedom and their ability to roam around the universe was constrained, um, restricted. So example number one, we have a people who saw all these miracles and they said, eh, God can't take care of us. And they died in their rebellion. Example number two, angels in the very presence of God and that wasn't enough for them. They wanted more. They rebelled. They, they, they disbelieved that God had their best interest at heart. Some repented of their rebellious ways, uh, but a third of them left and were cast down. Example number three, verse seven. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. These ancient cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were well known for their sexual sin, but also the Bible describes other sins that they were guilty of. Uh, pride being one of them also. You know, we may not struggle with the same sins, but just the sin of pride alone, one that's internal only, is just as bad as any of the other sins and can separate us just as much. Pride was one of the first sins that Lucifer fell to. Now, some people uh, have this false concept of, of hellfire, of hell, right? Uh, but we see here a very powerful reminder that, that God's punishment is just, and it doesn't go on throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity as is popularly taught. Uh, that idea comes out of uh, the philosophical works of the Greeks and other places. But it says Sodom and Gomorrah suffered the vengeance of what kind of fire? Eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah were in Israel near, the, near the, what we say the Dead Sea. And I have been there, and I can attest, and Sarah can attest also, and those of you who've been there, it is not still burning over there. Amen? Now it's blazing hot. It's blazing hot. And maybe it used to be a whole lot nicer there because in the story of Abraham and Lot, which involves Sodom and Gomorrah, it was a desirable place to be. But now, no, there's no fire there whatsoever. But it says in the passage, they are suffering the vengeance, the consequence. The effect of their punishment lives on. But praise God, their torture does not. They were consumed like that, and that was it. They like to say that uh, Adventist hell is hotter than Baptist hell because Adventist hell actually gets the job done. The wicked are consumed, and that's it. Um, God's a just God. Now, now, this is a strange act. In fact, the Bible says God's punishment on the wicked is a strange act because our God is a God of love. Our God is a God of mercy. And usually when God brings punishment upon people, it's simply... Well, let's see how this plays out. Let's see how that works for you. You've thrown the boomerang, and it's going to come back and hit you in the head. That's usually how God operates many times in Scripture. But sometimes, in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he gives like an advance judgment, as it were, in a sense. But it's always one that's just. Sometimes God, knowing the dangerous and contagious, the viral effects of sin, says we've got to nip this in the bud right now. We need to put an end to this now before it spreads 
and others are lost. Because there are things that are actually worse than death. Eternal death. Far worse. Eternal separation. And, and it's not that, you know, we're, we're talking about obedience and disobedience a little bit today. We are never saved by our obedience. Amen? We're only saved by the obedience of Jesus. So then why does Scripture emphasize the importance of obeying if obeying doesn't get us in? Well, one really easy and simple answer may simply be this. Sin changes who you are. And if you continue to live in sin, in the future you won't even want the grace of Jesus. If you continue to let sin shape who you are and distort your view of God and His love for you, should God invite you into the pearly gates in the future? He'd say, no thanks. I'd rather not. It's like, have you ever heard a song that you just really don't like? Song, it's just super annoying. Ah, oh, that song's on the radio. Turn that song off. I hate that song. The love of God, the presence of God for somebody who has been shaped so much and twisted by sin becomes like a song that they don't like. And heaven is like that song on repeat for a sinner. They say, if this is what heaven is like, even though for us we're like, this is awesome, this is God's love, this is his presence, this is a place where there's no sin, suffering, death, any of those, this is amazing. For somebody whose heart has been warped by sin, they say, can't you turn off that presence of God? That love, that unselfishness. No, can I go somewhere where I can do the sins that I really like? And so God in his mercy doesn't allow people to be tortured by his presence. Even though for us, we say, well, how could you be tortured by the presence of someone who loves you infinitely? You know what I'm saying? I, 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 hopefully I'm not making the situation more complicated. But God wants everyone to be saved. But he knows that disobedience will warp your desires and your perception of reality. Besides, this is just a lot of negative consequences. The Ten Commandments make a whole lot of sense. Don't steal? Okay. My life will be better if I'm not afraid of getting caught. Right? So three examples. People who had every opportunity but failed. You know, that's why the Apostle Paul emphasizes that we need to, to press forward in our faith. I remember seeing uh, Deshaun Jackson. He, 2008, he played in the NFL on the Philadelphia Eagles. Got this 60-yard or 40-yard, 50-yard pass. He's running into the end zone, a football in his arm. He's one yard from the end zone. He drops the ball in celebration. Ball goes backwards, doesn't cross the plane. Uh, it was ruled a touchdown, and then on further review, they said, oh, not a touchdown. This was not his first oopsie uh, in, in a, a game when he was playing um, in the Army East versus West game. Um, he was running, did a front flip, and mistimed it a little bit, so he, he hit just before the end zone, ball popped out, and he did not score uh, the touchdown. Now, their team went on to score just after that. But we can't let up until the finish line in our journey of faith. 
right? Just like we can't let up with, with COVID stuff. We've let up too much, and uh, I was talking to Dr. Joe just today, ICUs getting so full. Um, he said we may have to start, stop doing cases and just have this whole place for patients of COVID. can't let up. Uh, we can't drop down our guard. And so Jude says, hey, remember what happened? They were on the border of the promised land. And they said, no thanks. Angels, they lived in the presence of God, and they, eh, I want more. God's not fair. Sodom and Gomorrah had all the pleasure that they could imagine in the, in the physical, sensual sense but in the end, it wasn't worth it. So now we get to verse 8. We've, we've seen our three examples. Now verse 8, likewise, these dreamers, these false prophets, people claiming these dreams, they do three things. Surprise, three things. Defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. They're defiling their flesh through their uh, sinful practices or through their false teachings. They're rejecting authority. This has been with us since the very beginning. Lucifer rejected God's authority. And obviously, we don't always agree with our authorities, but we're told, respect the governing authorities. And as long as they're not telling you to do something against God's will, God's word, we should obey. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. These dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. This phrase is a little interesting to understand, a little difficult, but it probably relates to celestial beings, angels. Um, they were not respecting the angelic world. And then an, an example. It says, yet Michael the archangel. Now, many people um, in our faith tend to believe that Michael is... Another name for whom? Jesus. That's right. Uh, and, and we see that this just seems to fit the scriptural evidence. Michael the archangel, contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And it's interesting. People who don't identify Michael as, as Jesus, they say, well, at least some of them, they say, ah, but he says the Lord rebuke you, and if Jesus is the Lord, then why wouldn't he just say, I rebuke you? But what's interesting is, when you go to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, later on, you'll see the same exact scenario where, where, where the archangel is there, uh, or the angel, and Satan is there accusing Joshua the high priest, and the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, says, the Lord rebuke you. So we have a clear example of the Lord saying, the Lord rebuke you. And, and, but that's not the, the point there. The point is, Jesus, Michael, when he's talking to the devil, he could have said a lot of nasty, dirty things about the devil. Instead, he just said, I'm going to let the Lord take care of you. Now, this is a very curious verse, and it actually seems to be a, a, a reference to a non-biblical book called The Assumption of Moses. We only have a few fragments that survived, so this passage isn't even in there, but ancient authors attribute this verse to that. Um, 
And sometimes you'll find biblical authors quoting from non-biblical sources, but that's okay because the Holy Spirit who inspired them in their original words can inspire them with selected usage from other passages. But apparently Moses, it says in Deuteronomy 32, he died and nobody buried him because the Lord buried him and they didn't know where his tomb was. And we find out later on in the Gospels that God did a special work of resurrecting, giving, giving him life again. We saw Moses appear with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so God buried him, but then he also said, come on back to life, buddy. I've got a better promised land for you. But somehow in that process, Satan shows up and there's this dispute. Satan wants the body of Moses. And just Jesus says, the Lord rebuke you. And that was enough. And so these false teachers, they are rejecting authority. They are saying slanderous things against the authority, against the celestial beings. But not even Jesus did that. And I got to admit, these words kind of come close to home as I think about this political season. It's really easy to want to say slanderous accusations against people in political office. Maybe we should think about that. Jesus could have said a lot of bad things about the devil in that moment, slanderously. And he said, nah, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Verse 10, these false teachers, they speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they do know, naturally like brute beasts, in these things, they corrupt themselves. It's interesting how people are often down on what they're not up on. People criticize the things maybe they don't know enough about. These false teachers, even the things that they knew about, they're like brute beasts. They're like animals in their approach to these things. Woe to them, verse 11, for they have gone in the way of three things. Three examples. Gone in the way of Cain. What did Cain do? Didn't have faith when he offered his sacrifice. Ended up killing his brother. Oof. They've gone in the way of Cain. Without faith. Without regard for human life. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Balaam was a prophet who wanted profit. If you know what I'm saying. Get it? Good. <laughs> so he was a prophet of the Lord, but he wanted some profit in his wallet. Uh, they didn't use wallets quite <laughs> back then, but you know what I'm saying. Eventually, Balaam uh, helped the enemy of the Israelites bring spiritual ruin and death upon them. And he did it because he was greedy. We've got to watch out for people who are just trying to enrich themselves at our expense, at our eternal expense. These false teachers, finally, in verse 11, are those like those who perished in the rebellion of Korah. Korah, back in the wandering of the wilderness, didn't respect the authority of Moses that God had given him. Again, this, this issue of authority didn't respect it, and he and others with him ultimately perished. 
Verse 12, these are spots in your love feasts. Now that's an awkward phrase. Some translations for spots uh, say stains or hidden reefs. If you are running a ship in the water and there's a reef you don't know about, shipwreck, right? These people are in your agape feast, the Lord's Supper. That's the love feast. Uh, Lord's Supper. This time together of self-sacrifice and love and remembering what Jesus had done for them. These people are there in these feasts, he's saying, and they're just out to serve themselves, and their influence is like a shipwreck. It leads people astray. What else are they like? Well, they are like clouds without water, carried about by the wind. If you're needing rain and you see clouds, you're hopeful. Oh, good. Oh, and then it's just clouds with no water. We can have, we can have like months and months without even seeing clouds here sometimes, it feels like. Then you go over to the coast. Ah, oh, it feels so good. This disappointment, right? Clouds, rain, we need the rain. Ah, oh, there's nothing there. Or, what's, what does it say next? Late autumn trees, trees that should have produced fruit, but without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Trees that didn't bear, bear fruit, they're pulled up, and now they doubly can't bear fruit. Um, verse 13, raging waves of sea foaming up their own shame. Maybe you like sea foam, but in some... For some people, and, and apparently how Jude was using it, sea foam is kind of a gross thing. It's a, it's a vile thing. These guys are all action, but no result except their own filth. Wandering stars for whom is reserved blackness of darkness forever. Wandering stars, some have said that they are planets. Others say these are actually in reference to comets, right? Wonderful children's story today about comets. If you're trying to navigate your ship, navigate, they didn't have GPS, didn't have compasses like we do, so you look at the stars. But if you're trying to orient your life off of a comet that's moving or a planet that doesn't do like what the rest of the stars do, you're gonna end up lost. You're gonna end up in the wrong track. That's what these false teachers are like. You can't rely upon them for true information. That's why it's so important for us to spend time in the Word ourselves. Not to just take my word for it because I said it, but to spend time on your own in God's Word. And if you're just getting started, even just reading in the Gospels. I like to recommend the Gospel of John, not because it has my name, but because it's just a really good one to start with. Uh, reading about Jesus. Getting to know what Jesus is like for yourself. And finally, last two verses, 14 and 15, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, and this is probably a quote from the book of First Enoch, another non-biblical work that the Holy Spirit allowed him to use this part. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with how many people? Ten thousands of saints. Now, I said people, but really this is actually in reference to angels. His angels are coming back, and Jesus affirmed that in the Gospels. Coming back to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, 
which they have committed in an ungodly way. In the Greek, the word for ungodly is used three times. Jude continuing this pattern. And of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. On that day when Jesus returns, for those who have been living in the love of Christ, they will say, yes, this is awesome. We're finally free. We're finally going to go home. But for those who haven't heeded the warnings and who haven't submitted their heart to the work of Jesus, when they see Jesus in the sky with all those angels, they're just going to say, uh-oh. It's like when you're a kid and your, your mom or dad are, are out of the house and maybe you've gotten into some mischief that you shouldn't have. When they come back into the driveway, if you've been doing mischief, you think, oops. But if, if you haven't been doing any mischief, you see them coming home, you say, oh, good. Mom's home. Dad's home. Same is true here. And the amazing thing is, we get to choose what our response will be. We get to choose what our reaction will be because it doesn't matter how bad you've been. You could be worse than the men that Jude is describing. You could have done way worse things than the historic examples we have been given. But if you want Jesus in your life to cleanse you and cover you, you're set. Even though you've thrown your boomerang of sins your whole life, Jesus can stop it from coming back and hurting you. And there may still be some consequences from our, our, our choices here and now, but he, take, he has already taken the everlasting consequence, the punishment that should blot us out forever. He's already taken that for us, and we just can enjoy his work, his perfect life, his freedom forever. I don't know about you, but I want to listen. Big idea today, sin has consequences. Doesn't matter how privileged you may be, people have fallen in the past, people fall in the present. But we have one who's already taken all the consequence for us. Suffered the vengeance of eternal fire there on the cross for us. And if we... <laughs> Reach out, reach up, and say, Jesus, please cover me with your blood. Our lives and our record are cleansed. And when we see Jesus, when the Lord, whom Enoch prophesied about, returns with 10,000 of his angels, will look up and say, yes, you're finally here, and I'm looking forward to going home. Is that what you want your response to be? Listeners at home, is that what you want? Pray with me now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that in your mercy you give us warnings. Some of us are tempted to think that we can keep on in a life of sin and then just before the end we can change our ways and accept your grace and mercy. Lord, you know how dangerous this is. We don't even know whether we'll be around tomorrow. And so right now, those here and those at home, in our hearts we say yes. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. 
I want you in my life. I'm not the person I want to be, but, but I want you to make me into the person that you, that you know that I can be. Day by day, step by step, I want to follow you. Lord, if there are faults, teachers in our lives, people that are leading us astray in some way, give us the wisdom to recognize this. Help us to see them for what they are, and may we listen to you and your word and not theirs. Give us joy and hope as we look to the future. And Lord, please come back soon, and may all those within the sound of my voice, when you return, may we look uh, just up and say, this is our God. We've waited for him, and now he will save us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath. Continue to be safe as you leave the building today. Uh, you can drop your offering, if you have any, in the plates, and then just continue straight on outdoors and enjoy the good, fresh, hot air. Happy Sabbath, and we'll see you next week. We'll continue our series. <laughs>